land is mine. God gave this land to me. This brave and ancient land to me. Then I see a land where children can run free. So take my hand and walk this land with me, and walk this lovely. Welcome to Yada Yada Radio. It looks like we have a full stable of voices here with both JB and, uh, and Kirk this evening. Um, hey, JB. For those of you who had to endure last week's program, uh, I do apologize for uh, any uh, goofs or slowness uh, on my part. I was uh, in the midst of, of uh, COVID. I did get, uh, I did get uh, Omicron. Uh, and uh, the good news is that the thing that scared me the most about Omicron is that it is uh, um, the primary symptoms in the brain. You get brain swelling and therefore headaches. So the, the virus tries to infect your brain. Your brain tries to push it off. And so there's swelling in your brain as a result of that. And, okay, so I had three days of debilitating headaches. And, uh, okay, so that's over. And each day gets progressively better. But the thing that was a little bit frightening to me is that three days after um, I'm over all of the symptoms, I'm still in slow motion. My brain is still swollen, and it's not processing information at the, at the normal pace. And you're going, oh, oh, this is going to be bad. That's my the only thing I've got going for me, and it's, it's in slow motion. Uh, speaking of, uh, of uh, my liabilities, um, I live, as many of you know, in the U.S. Virgin Islands, and here we do not observe a daylight savings times because we're so far south, the difference between a winter day and a summer day is about the same as the difference uh, in temperature between the two. You know, the, a really, 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 really cold night here gets down to the low 70s, and a really, really hot <laughs> day here gets into the high 80s. We don't have much of a swing, summer or winter, but uh, because we do not observe daylight savings time, and you all do, except uh, I think uh, in Arizona, uh, it would be really helpful Correct. if this time of year we moved up the show a half an hour and began uh, what would be 8 o'clock my time as opposed to 8.30 because uh, I do turn into a pumpkin by uh, by 10 Uh <laughs> 
because I get up with the sun. The sun comes rises here at 5:30 in the morning, and and that's uh, 4:30 for the rest of you, or 3:30 or 2:30 or 1:30, depending on where you live in the uh, U.S. of A. Um, or you know around the world. Uh, second. I realize uh, today I have to go schedule a bunch of new shows out anyway, so that's good to know. I'll, uh, oh, I would appreciate change. that. I'm glad you're here, JB. If you could schedule some shows out. And we, uh, uh, I did change the um, admin such that it shows Atlantic time as the, uh, uh, as the standard time for the show. So it, uh, notice that it is in Atlantic time because if I have to put together something on the fly, it's very hard to guess. Uh, what uh, time zone we're in. So I did put it in Atlantic time and eight o'clock uh, would be a wonderful change Atlantic time if you wouldn't mind. Um, okay. Last week I talked uh, at length about uh, Omicron. I knew it up close and uh, personal after all. And what I basically said is that uh, Omicron could be the best news we've had in a long time. Now, I don't know that for certain. What I know is that Omicron cannot be stopped. Uh, Omicron is now being reported at essentially a million new cases in the United States a day. A million new cases. You know, it's, it's so funny because this time uh, a year ago or even during the, uh, the month prior to the election, the Democrats were just having a conniption fit, pounding uh, Trump for how irresponsible he was that after a year of the virus, we were still uh, experiencing 50, 60, 70,000 new infections a day. We would long for the good old days of, uh, of 70,000 when, when a really low day to now is 750,000. And they were all bemoaning him and saying, you know, you, you just haven't been able to ramp up testing fast enough. You want to get a test today, and most places you're going to wait four days. By the time you waited four days, you're already on the mend from Omicron. And so when they're reporting now a million new cases a day, that's probably 10% of the total. Because no one is in their right mind is going to go out and get a test. Why, why would I want to wait four days on a virus that's lifespan now, its average lifespan, is five days? Why would I do that? Why would I do that knowing mm -hmm. that, there's, that the quarantine time is now five days? Why would I do that knowing that there's nothing that I'm going to need from them or anything that they're going to offer me? <coughs> what, what's the purpose? And so the, uh, the actual infection rate isn't uh, a million a day. It's, uh, it's at least 10 million a day. The good news is, though, it's not uh, putting people in the hospital at uh, any significant rate except for the unvaccinated um, you know, Darwin ultimately prevails in the end, uh, and it is uh, it is not killing anyone except the unvaccinated. Uh, again, a testament to the the fact that uh, Darwin was right uh, in terms of uh, micro uh, uh, environmentalism, not uh, in terms of an evolution, not macro evolution. But uh, nonetheless, uh, this is a disease that is capable and appears like it's going to give those who get it super immunity, which is a whole lot better than the vaccine currently, because while the vaccine is keeping those who get any variation of COVID alive, keeping them out of the hospital, keeping them alive, uh, 
it is not keeping them from getting Omicron. And the one thing that is more likely to, uh, to starve off the virus is herd immunity, where more of us actually get it and survive it and go on. Now, the only fly in that ointment is we still don't know how long the antibodies will last because Omicron has only been around a matter of, uh, of a month, at least uh, outside of South Africa. One of the things, though, that is, uh, is just exceedingly troublesome about this is how the CDC and the health agencies and the leaders around the world are fighting this as if they were fighting the last war. It's like you know, the uh, United States uh, uh, being prepared for World War II by building more battleships. Uh, we're great for preparing for the, the last war, not knowing that they, uh, they are never the same. And that's just not going to work this time. Only thing we can do this time is to let it go. And recognize there will be significant economic disruption, even without the idiots in our government stepping in, because so many people are out of work. There was a, a series of speeches in Washington calling the idiocy that occurred this time last year in uh, the U.S. Capitol following a Trump uh, rally, an insurrection. And every one of the media spokespeople referred to it as an insurrection, as if they had never read a dictionary. An insurrection is an organized and usually violent act of revolt or rebellion against an established government or governing authority as a nation or political entity, <clears throat> leading to revolution. Now, you can look at, as many of us did the day of uh, January 6th, and look what happened, and you can realize that the overwhelming preponderance of those people were, uh, were about as fit to engage in an armed insurrection <laughs> as a couple of uh, Bolshoi ballerinas uh, uh, that weigh in at uh, 250 pounds. Uh, <laughs> they were dressed up in ridiculous garb. They were armed with their cell phones. They were occupied taking selfies. They were milling around. They know more were involved in an act of, <coughs> of armed insurrection as a man of the moon. As a matter of fact, I'm not sure that any of the uh, Trumpites who marched on the, the Capitol had a weapon. They, if being armed means they some you know picked up a broomstick, some picked up a a rostrum, uh, some uh, picked up. A barricade, if that's what the new definition of armed, then well, I guess we're going to have to rewrite the, uh, the Second Amendment. It is just, there's no wonder that people don't trust their government. When the empowered party speaks of what happened on, on January 6th, and they say that this was a greater threat to the nation than was 9-11. 3,000 people uh -huh. died because Muslims flew planes into our buildings. This was a greater 
threat to the American democracy, they said, than the War of 1812. <laughs> come on, come on. Many, the favorite was to they say that it was the greatest down. threat since the Civil War, which wasn't a threat to the democracy at all. It was only a threat to the union existing of one group of states or two groups of states. These people are totally lost, irrational, ignorant, grandstanders. So it is indeed troubling when you hear that sort of thing. Now, do not take my recount of this as an endorsement of Trump. Uh, you will not get it from me. Do not take it. I think Trump is an egomaniac. And I think that Trump did himself tremendous damage when he didn't ask those people to leave sooner. Uh, and I also think that, that, that Trump's claim of having had the election stolen, while likely true, if you can't explain how it was stolen, which he can't, then you ought not make the claim. And what I said immediately after the election is that it appears obvious, but there is no longer any proof because of the way that states destroy all uh, ballots immediately after they're certified, which, which is then a week or two of the election. And there was no court that wanted to take up the, uh, the challenge. And so uh, there's no court that ruled that the election was honest and fair. There was just no court that wanted that claimed that the, a defendant had, a, had grounds for suit, like Texas couldn't bring suit against Pennsylvania. That's all that they determined. And there is, even though the media is in lockstep saying that it is untrue that the election was stolen, that that's a lie, they don't know that. There is no proof of that at all. And what happened is what the Democrats are trying to uh, make universal, which if they do, you might as well stop voting because it won't make any difference anymore. Uh, I don't vote anyway, so you know it's uh, I'm just I'm just commenting on this. Uh, the mm -hmm. the reality is that that the states that were the swing states that had Trump ahead until the very end were states that all had their administrators change the manner into which somebody could register and vote such that you didn't have to register a month prior to the election or even a week prior to the election. You didn't have to show proof of your identity. You didn't have to uh, go through a system of checks and assurances that you were not voting in person and then in a mail-in ballot. There was no way to validate that mail-in ballots were from live people versus dead people or from any person at all. And that's what they want in voting rights is, is literally no proof of anything so that anybody can vote or somebody can vote as many times as they want. There was lots of comments, too, about America being the, the longest example of democracy. America is not a democracy. It's a representative government. And the problem with democracy is, was sounded by the founding fathers, which, which said that if you allow a democracy, what you will end up having is the, the have-nots 
stealing from the haves to the point that the haves will no longer have anything to give nor any incentive to do anything. And that's where we, uh, we are as a, a nation. Speaking of stupid, one of my uh, favorite uh, clowns in the world is Pope Francis. Well, he is the epitome of, uh, of stupid. He is especially stupid when he speaks of God or economics. Uh, he is a communist, so his economics are, are particularly uh, um, out of touch with reality. So, mm-hmm. uh, Pope Francis, how many children does he have? No. Okay, no. So Pope Francis came out and says many couples uh, do not have children because they do not want to. Uh, they might have one and not more, uh, but they have domestic animals, two dogs, two cats. He uh, said the decision not to have more children is a form of selfishness. And he berated anyone who did not have many children. As the man who is head of an organization where all of those empowered in the organization have exactly, count them, zero children. When this first came out years ago, I was doing Shattering Myths. Uh, liberals decided that it was inappropriate to keep homosexuals from being scoutmasters and from being involved with the Boy Scouts and the Boy Scouts board of directors and their uh, uh, and leadership all said, wait a minute, we've, we've got a bunch of very vulnerable young boys here. We're not telling homosexuals they can't be homosexuals, but having homosexuals be leaders in the Boy Scout organization, probably not a really good idea. But nonetheless, in America, you can't say that. And so, browbeaten into it, the Boy Scouts acquiesced and allowed any homosexual that wanted to be a scoutmaster the opportunity to do so. So what happened? The Boy Scouts went into bankruptcy. There are claims of boys being abused um, by their leadership to the tune of 54,000 survivors of abuse cast ballots. So there's 54,000 known victims now. And while the Boy Scouts offered 2.7 billion, which is they in bankruptcy, which means they sell everything, to resolve that, the victim says, no, that's not enough. Actually, the total number of claims is 82,000. So the liberal media, progressives, demand that the Boy Scouts have homosexual leaders. And they do. And now there are 82,000 boys who have been sexually abused. And the Boy Scouts is in bankruptcy. And there's not a single progressive liberal, who said, oops, maybe we were wrong. So sorry about that. We'll be more careful next time. Now, that's the difference between what should be a conservative 
And what is a liberal? Personal responsibility, accountability. There is none among liberals. Well, that's my recap of the news. I'm going to turn to our, uh, our program, unless you gentlemen want to bring up something that I may have missed or correct something that you may disagree with. No. no they, uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, JB. Oh, I just said no. I did nothing. Yeah. Okay. I like your – Well, yeah. where we were is in our – I think this is now the third or the fourth chapter on, on Kapuram. In the third Yadaya volume devoted to the Moed Mikre. And we devoted so much time and attention to Kaporam because turns out it is the most talked about prophetic event in the Torah, Prophets, and Psalms. Nothing anywhere close to it. Matter of fact, today I was telling you, uh, uh, Kirk, at the, mm-hmm. uh, before the program began, that um, I am now. Uh, translating the 119th psalm again and come to find out that as we're moving through the letters and i'm you know probably six letters into it at this point the number one subject being discussed is dode's return to yahweh and yahweh's disappointment and how religions have misappropriated the promises he made to dode and given them to another and it is all addressing Yom Kippurim, the day of return. Matter of fact, it even explains in the Hey chorus of uh, the 19th Psalm, it even explains uh, Zachariah, the 12th chapter, where they're now in the 13th, but in the 12th chapter where it says, they will look upon me whom they have pierced, and they will mourn for me as one mourns for an only child. Well, the 119th Psalm explains that. They are going to look upon Yahweh who fulfilled Pesach because that is part of replacement theology because the Christian Jesus inherited all of the promises to Dode and he disinherited the one attribute that was the most important Passover lamb. So they're going to recognize that Yahweh indeed as Yosha was the Passover lamb and then they're going to mourn for Dode because of what they have done to besmirch his credibility, to rob him of, the, uh, of his credentials. While I'm sharing this, uh, and again, mm-hmm. I'm still a little slow getting over uh, COVID, so uh, I have a good excuse. Uh, I did write it down at the beginning of the program. You'll notice that there's a new look and feel to Yadda uh, uh, Radio. Uh, it's now more integrated with um, the overall Yadda look and feel. Uh, you will notice that uh, Stephen, on his Facebook site, if you go to the very top of today's program in the chat room, you notice that I put a link to, uh, to what he is doing. He has come up with a marvelous way of presenting the textual support with an audio track for our books so that you get the best of both worlds. You can read along, and he highlights the words as you're going along while listening. Wow. Uh, and the integration of those two is so magnificent. He's done a, just such a marvelous job. Uh, it is, there is a link to what he is doing from the uh, Yada Yada community uh, uh, section of our homepage. Uh, but also I put it uh, in the link at the top of the chat room. 
Second, uh, Dee, Leah, and Jackie have been working to create a social media for Yada Yada, something that uh, I had completely avoided for, uh, for a number of reasons. Uh, I'm not fond of the, of the artificial nature of social media, and I didn't want the distraction. I, I mm-hmm. think I continue to be better. Uh, the community is better served. God's people are better served. If I continue to translate and comment on what I'm, I'm learning. And so I know I could get involved personally. Uh, so I had avoided it. And the other reason I had avoided it is that I never felt that we were ready. I always felt that, you know, that more needs to be available to people. We need to have our act together better than we mm-hmm. do now. Uh, that changed. And for me, it uh, began to change with uh, David, uh, well, that would be going before David, when Leah told me that uh, she thought my older book stunk and that she wouldn't, uh, she didn't use stink, but it was, uh, she, she, Laid into me, says, you know, I, I wouldn't give one of your earlier books to a, uh, a Jewish friend. Uh, there's way too many things that are incorrect in them that uh, you've subsequently learned in, uh, in the last volumes of observations and throughout Coming Home. They really need to be rewritten. And then uh, she said, uh, along with that, uh, you need a unified look. It's just too scattered. And she says, I'll, uh, I'll create a, uh, what I think is a unified look for you. And then um, I, we began to rewrite everything. Starting at the beginning, I think we've rewritten now 21 or 22 volumes. Um, and for those looking, uh, An Introduction to God, Volume 2, has now been posted on the website. Thank you, David. Uh, but now... Right within a day of the time we finish a volume, it's up on the website. And there's a bookshelf that shows it all. And it is, it's not just that it, it's current. It's not that, that the website now looks identical to the books. And all of the books look identical together. And now there's an integration with Blog Talk Radio. And then there's the support of, of Amazon, who's the biggest publisher in the world now. And I... And with the YouTube channel of, of Steve, uh, we have turned the corner in terms of, of the breadth of what we're offering. And Introduction to God, as it was rewritten, is so much better a place to begin. And these first two volumes are, are enormously powerful. They're completely new translations totally new commentary, they're profound in what uh, they reveal, as are the three uh, new chapters on the Moed Mikre. And so we finally reached a point where we have content, and it all looks great. Uh, and then uh, you know, Alan had done this, this tremendous service for us all by recognizing that Clarion was, was not going to win the war against Amazon and that there was no publisher that was going to prevail against Amazon, that Amazon was going to be the de facto publisher of the world and that, sh- that uh, sh- um, short order uh, books was going to become the dominant form of communication, both on, 
in the electronic form, which is just pennies now at Amazon for our books, or paperback, and now we have hardback. And it became, it is an enormous investment of time. I mean, talk about a labor of love. And Jackie, who is just so perfectly suited for it, took over this responsibility. And we now have books that are consistent. They, they, the actual physical book looks like, reads like the web presentation, the same pagination, everything is consistent. And so at this point, with all new material, all edited, all up to date, all looking the same, Something has profoundly changed where we're, we are ready, where we can yeah. say, yeah, well, uh, we've done this job as well as we can do it. It's ready. And so um, my wife and Jackie and Dee got together and said, then let's take on the challenge of uh, social media and let's integrate social media. So if you look, there are three links at the top of this page. There is now a new Yada Yawa Facebook profile, a Yada Yawa Twitter profile, and a Yada Yawa Instagram profile that they are moderating and they are adding to. And those will soon be linked directly from the Yada Yawa site that uh, David has so beautifully uh, presented and enabled. So, we have come up with a family approach to this that is, um, it's ready. You know, we, we can finally say, yeah, what well, we have done, as you have asked, it's ready. Let your children see it. And so today, the primary way of communicating something to people, making them aware of it, broadening uh, the awareness is through social media, and it's now all integrated together because we are working together as a uh, as a family on this. Uh, and we still have the you know the wonderful contribution of sites like uh, Yawa Bereth, the JB site, which has the full presentation of uh, the uh, the audio um, archives of what we've done, as well as uh, Bless Yawa, which. Uh, has been brought back to life, and, and now we have uh, Jackie working with uh, with Scott to uh, bring it not just back to life, but up to date with with what we have learned. So I just wanted to bring all that to your attention. I know that's a little bit of a distraction before we get into this program, no, no, but, no. but that's why we're here, folks. I mean, yes, I, I realize that there are many in the Covenant family who look forward to uh, Shabbat, as we do, uh, so that we have the opportunity to have a family discussion about the Torah and about the prophets and about Yahweh and his family and what is going to happen in the new future so that we are we're comforted together and so that we're equipped to share what we've learned with others. But that's not the main reason we do this. Let's never lose sight of the fact that that we all serve for a primary purpose, and that is to fulfill Yahweh's will. He wants to restore his relationship with his people who have been blind for a long time, who have been misled by their rabbis and by their political leaders for a very, very long time. 
and it is our mission to help them understand how their religion has misled them and how Yahweh is calling them home. And since that is our primary mission, uh, it is important that we, uh, we continue and we use every tool available um, to serve as Yahweh's Nesh. This is now the beginning of uh, what is the fourth chapter, actually, on Kippurim. Uh Kippurim means to reconcile. It is the day of reconciliations. It is about Yahweh coming home. You'll find it in Volume 6, Moed, uh, Appointments of Yahweh. And the byline for this is appropriately coming home. This is what Yahweh is, is celebrating. And we have now gone through all of Zachariah, bringing us up to the 13th chapter, because all of Zachariah is devoted to this singular day, the Day of Reconciliations. More than anything, Yahweh wants his people to know the truth. It's the only cure for what ails them. The only way to survive the onslaught which is headed their way. There's not much talk in Jewish circles of what uh, Yahweh calls uh, Sor Yaakov. And it's F. Sor Yaakov, the time of Yaakov's, Yaakov's troubles. And that is where we're headed. And so the only antidote for that is the truth, Yahweh's testimony. So, Zechariah, the 13th chapter, begins. During that day, there will be a resource opened which elicits a response. For the house of Dode and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem to reconcile, having been misdirected and wrong, and to purge the detestable corruption. This is the theme of the 119th Psalm. This is the theme of Yashaya Isaiah from beginning to end. It is the theme of Yermiah, Jeremiah. It's the theme of Zachariah, Zechariah. It's the theme of Malachi. It all boils down to God is going to provide a resource for his people. If this isn't it, I'm sure going to be the happiest guy alive for something to come along that's better, that's more complete, that's more accurate. And if something comes along that is more complete, more accurate, more compelling, more complete on behalf of Yahweh, then we are going to applaud, probably go on a, uh, a vacation, and, uh, and thank Yah for uh, having provided it. But until that happens, and I don't think it's going to, because frankly, we've been at this for 21 years now. And we've been doing this 10, 12 hours a day, six and seven days a, a week for almost 21 years. That's a lot, folks. And you're not going to find any other place that that systematically explains why Yahweh's name is Yahweh. What each of the seven Moed and Mikre mean relative to the covenant and the reconciliation of Yahweh's people. How the timeline of 
six plus one from 6,000 years ago. Adam was and Chawa were booted out of the Garden of Great Joy, Gan Eden, to the time we return to it. You'll find no other place that recognizes that Tadod is the Messiah, the shepherd, the son of God, the king of kings, that he is the one returning with Yahweh. That Yosha is the Passover lamb. There are thousands of insights that we have provided to God's people. Doing Teruah as it should be done, which is to also explain to them how their religion has led them astray. That is what Zechariah 13.1 is describing. During that day, which now is this day, there will be a resource opened which elicits a response. A makor patak, a fountain and wellspring which is released, flowing for all to hear and respond. For the house of Dot. The house of Dot represents a united Yisrael. And for the inhabitants of Jerusalem, Yah's city, the place from which instruction and guidance about reconciliations flows. To reconcile, having been misdirected and wrong. Chatak to purify those who have previously missed the way, which is 99.99999% of Israelites, and to purge the deceptible corruption. For Israelites, for Yehudim, to reunite with Yah, they must resolve the problem of their religion. It's filthy, it's polluted, it's immoral. That's what this says. And, you know, this should not be a surprise. Zachariah is in every godforsaken name Bible. It's right there in all of them. You can read it. Even in their Tanakh, Jews can read it. Why is there no response? Israelites are being afforded a makur patak, a resource which is being released for all of them to hear and respond to. And keep in mind that the Torah, prophets, and Psalms are written in God's language of revelation. It's Hebrew. Very different Hebrew than the Hebrew spoken today, written today, transliterated today, although it is based upon it, it is miles apart from it. It is written in a Hebrew that is exceedingly easy to translate. I may not be very fast at it because there's lots of nuances in it that you're trying to to ascertain and insights to derive, but the language itself is not difficult, and it's comprised of, of pictographs that help us understand what is being communicated. And the realization is that the language spoken by more Jews than any other is English. 
overwhelmingly so. Uh, there are some four or five million Jews that speak Hebrew, uh, but not even as their primary language because about a million of those and most of the religious Jews in the United States don't speak Hebrew, they speak Yiddish. And Yiddish is this blend of, of Germanic and Slavic languages with an ancient Hebrew word root out of Babylon. And there, if you were to say, what is the most common language among God's chosen people? It's overwhelmingly English. And what is the lingua franca of the world, the language spoken by more people worldwide than any other? Even with a billion poor Chinese, it's not Chinese. Not Mandarin. You know, it's, it's English, overwhelmingly so. So this message that is being delivered, which God has told us numerous times, is going to be in a tongue that is, uh, was unknown at the, uh, at the time of this revelation, needs to be English if all of those Yehudim who could potentially be receptive are going to hear it. So, its purpose will be to help those comprising the house of Dode to chata'ak, reconcile the fact that they have been misled and thus wrong. And that would include how wrong Judaism has become. I didn't. I don't want to give the impression that Judaism started off right and has evolved in a negative way. No, it started off bad. Oh, it got worse. It has gotten worse. Mm -hmm. You will find as you read the second volume of An Introduction to God, and now in the third volume of An Introduction to God, rabbis in Judaism are actually responsible for the abuse Jews have endured. Not only for the advent of Christianity, which has become the most abusive, anti-Semitic, longest enduring menace to God's chosen people in human history. Because they did not acknowledge that Dode was the Messiah. They did not acknowledge that Dode was the Son of God. And they did not accept that Yosha was the Passover lamb. And because they did not clarify any one of those points, nor did they admit that Yahweh was God, a religious acknowledging a Jesus Christ who took Dode's titles of Son of God and Messiah, of which he was neither, nor was he named Jesus Christ, was born that completely disavows his only actual purpose, which was to serve as the Passover lamb. And it's that religion that to legitimize itself had to de-legitimize Jews and turn them in to the enemy. Had rabbis not screwed up on every possible front, it never would have had any traction. Just as rabbis are responsible for Islam, Muhammad diatribe would never have made it out of Mecca successfully, nor taken root in Medina if it had not been for the fact that rabbis sold Muhammad Talmud readings, which gave his 
Quran a veneer of authenticity, even though it's still the dumbest book ever written. And so they're responsible for bringing this menace upon themselves. And there's more to this than even that. And I said something very controversial last week. I'm going to repeat it again. The reason that there are such nasty stereotypes against Jews, of them being greedy, of them being dishonest, of their religion being even demonic, is because that is an apt depiction of rabbis. The rabbis have given birth to the basis of those conspiracies. Now, that does not exonerate the numbskulls that have advanced them. That does not exonerate, in fact, God's going to condemn with a seven times retribution those who advance the lies of the protocols of the elders of Zion. But the only reason that it took root, the only reason that the lie seemed credible is that rabbis represented the very generalizations that were being wrongly attributed to the people as a whole. The fellow that wrote the most popular author, actually, with the Herodim, the ultra-Orthodox Jews, which is the only form of the religion that is acknowledged, really, in Israel. The only form of the religion that's empowered in Israel. Uh, he uh, is accused of raping some 20 or more little girls who came to his office to receive counseling. Uh, he's a trained psychologist, psychiatrist. And there is no mention uh, by the rabbis of caring at all for the victims, but only trying to salvage the credibility and the income stream of this extremely perverted individual. But this is who they have become. My wife, when she was very young, uh, had a, uh, a concern with Judaism that didn't make any sense. And uh, her grandmother, who was the patriarch of the family, said, I'll tell you what, uh, I'm not the right person to answer because I think they're all creeps. I think it's a whole big fraud, a money-making scheme. But I'll tell you what I, I would, uh, you should do so that I don't prejudice you. Why don't you go and, uh, and I'll set an appointment with the rabbi. You go meet with the rabbi. You ask him these questions. And so she did. And the first thing the rabbi did was put her, his hand up her skirt. That's who these creeps are. They ought to be exposed. They ought to be condemned. Yah was going to annihilate every single one of them upon his return because they are wrong, because they are, have misdirected his people because of their detestable corruptions. This is who God is talking about. And if you are a Yehudim, a Jew, and you want to be a Yehudim again, beloved of Yah, the first thing you have to do is acknowledge that the rabbis are nidah, corrupt, defiled, filthy, immoral, all things disgusting and it shall come to exist on that day prophetically declares Yahweh of the spiritual implements Shabbat I will uproot and banish 
I will karat. I will sever and remove that which is associated with the names, reputations of the vexing and idolatrous images and displeasing objects of religious veneration from the land and earth so that they are no longer proclaimed, recalled, or remembered, owed ever again. Moreover, those who claim to have been inspired such that they speak for God along with the infamous and religiously defiling spirits, I will invalidate and banish from the land and from the earth. Boy, it doesn't seem like God's really very religious, does it? It doesn't seem like God says, I want to save everybody, does it? Hardly. No. The reality is that just as God cut a covenant for those who wish to accept his terms and conditions, he's going to cut away everything that is religious. All of those vexing, idolatrous images and names, which would include Hashem. It would include Adonai. It will include G-D. It will include everything that the rabbis have to say because they call God everything except Yahweh. It will include Jesus and Christ and Allah. And all of them, everything that is uh, memorialized from Mao to Lenin, those images will be destroyed as well as the hosts that admire them and promote them. They will no longer be promoted, remembered, or recalled. And the only way for that to occur is, is not just for the object of veneration to be destroyed, but for those who have promoted them to be annihilated. Fair. Yeah. So moreover, those who claim to speak for God, along with the infamous and religiously defiling spirit, God says, I will invalidate and I will banish. I will repeal and punish, disrobing with great animosity from the land and from the earth. This is Zechariah 3.2. You know, this dichotomy on this day uh, is... um, Unlike any other. You know, when Yahweh fulfilled Pesach, both in Mitzrayim and later in Jerusalem, and both places, there were people he was attempting to save and those that he knew must die. While he did eliminate the firstborn sons of those who had been oppressing his people in Mitzrayim, when he fulfilled Pesach in Jerusalem, he did no such thing. He quietly went about his business. He fulfilled the promises that he had made. When he returns on Yom Kippurim, it is an entirely different story. He is not eliminating a few sons here and there but every religious person on earth. 
everyone who has come to attack Jerusalem and Israel will be instantly destroyed. We're not going to have any religious images left after Yahweh's return. We're not going to have any religious proponent left after Yahweh's return. None. That's extraordinary. You know, all the religious, they're waiting for their Messiah to return or their, uh, the second coming of their God. And all of those who are anticipating that are going to be horrified. This is, this is a day where there will be a remnant of Yisrael, of Yehudim, who are going to look upon Yahweh, recognize that he served as the Pesach lamb, and that he is returning with his son, son Dode, and they're going to rejoice. But the vast majority of people on earth are going to cease to exist. And everyone who claims to speak for God, everyone who is promoted that which is idolatrous and vexing and displeasing and religious, is going to be gone. It is the only way we can return to the Ghani Den. We can't return to the Garden of Great Joy if there's any trace of religion. I mean, think about it. Was there any religion in Eden? No, of course not. No. No governments, no police, no militaries, no patriotism, no politics, no conspiracies, no, uh, no religion, and no lies. And then one day, of course, Yahweh allowed Hasatan, this evil, infamous, evil, religious spirit, into the garden. And he corrupted the and twisted the words of Yahweh, misrepresented them, such that Chawa, who uh, obviously uh, wasn't comfortable with Adam's relationship with Yahweh, and therefore <coughs> wanted to be like God. And uh, she partook, uh, she misquoted God, and Adam uh, did not respond wisely. He um, evidently had not counseled his wife as to what was appropriate, and when she made a bad decision, he didn't try to correct her, but followed right along. It was a horrible decision, but at that very moment, Eden no longer existed. It was a place that revealed a model as to what we can anticipate and it will be restored, but there has been no garden of great joy for the past 6,000 years. So this prophecy is akin to Yahweh's statement in Hosha, where he says that upon his return, he will never have to endure Baal, the Lord's name or title again. God cares so little for religion there is no standalone Hebrew word to even express the concept. For those who believe that God ordained their faith, this deficiency in terminology should be troubling. Well, there is no Hebrew word for religion, 
This does not keep God from denouncing the practice. Atzab describes displeasing objects of religious veneration. Therefore, Yahweh, yeah, he is removing anything and everything which elicits worship. Is Atzab one of the words that you uh, analyze, Kirk? Oh, sure. It's, uh, it's man's perspective uh, on that. So it's... it's um Asab, let's see. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the, the uh, ATS. Yeah, that's in, yeah. in it. So the yeah, anytime you have ATS in a word, you, you're uh, you're set off. Your alarm bells go mm-hmm. off because the mm-hmm. uh, the TAS day is the one letter that you really don't know if it's going to the right or if it's going to the left. And the direction of the letter is really important because. The direction of the letter tells you the, the movement of the, of the individual, and it's either towards God or away from him. And mm-hmm. the TS words can be, picture a person uh, who is observant, kind of leaning up uh, in a prone position, the position that you would be in uh, if you're holding a book, reading it. Ah, that's the good, mm-hmm. that's, the, that's the Zion, T-S-Y-O-W-N. That, that's the good one. But uh, Sadak is another one. Eretz is another one. But there's also a lot of bad associated with the TS because it's a person who's eh, essentially ignorant, laying down, looking in the wrong direction, nodding, well, you know, not standing up, reaching up to God. What I got, if he is looking up at the stars, being a stargazer and uh, looking at the stars, and I, I not and enjoying those, I guess, or just gazing up of them. He's not Shemar in the Torah, and uh, he's not, re- and he's revering the stars. So we've got a lot of different things that are troubling him, and it's hard to go with the positive or negative. But in this particular case, uh, you know, it's, 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 about, it's about idols that cause heavy toil and pain and sorrow. So he's obviously focused on that. Uh, and that's where all the stars come from. That's where they started doing them that way. He's not Shemar in the Torah, so he's not sitting there reading. So um, his his um, his focus and his perspective is wrong. It's not on the house. He's not looking towards the house going home. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it sounds a little convoluted, but it's, it's, it's hard to grasp that one exactly. It's not as clear as some of the others. But yeah. um, but, but here's something that is interesting is that uh, Etzab mm-hmm. is not written with the LF, but with the AIM. And mm-hmm. if it was written with the uh, with the uh, LF, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet, which is the mm-hmm. uh, the uh, initial letter in both L God and Ab Father, and if the you could person bring you on the picture was yeah. looking in the direction of that, you'd say, okay, this could be a really good thing. But no, mm-hmm. it's it's uh, their perspective, you know, and right. and so the Ain is typically man's perspective. And uh, so it's man's root or doorway and a sob. And, uh, and um, so it's, it's, not one, a, it's not written as a positive term. No, one last thought. He's not engaged in walking, and he's, in, he's uh, revering the uh, symbols, which Yahweh hates the stars and the moon when they're revered. So that's, uh, it's nothing, nothing really good. No. Mm-hmm. So... Asab describes displeasing objects of religious veneration. Therefore, Yahweh is removing anything and everything which elicits worship. 
the most vexing of those to be banished by Almighty God will be crosses, particularly those uh, revealing a dead and tortured God nailed to a stick. Statues of Mary, which represent uh, Asherah, Astarte, Mm -hmm. the mother of God, the queen of heaven, that Yahweh renounces. Stars of David. Talk about veneration. The star of David, which was first drawn in uh, in Kabbalah and the Zohar, which was a what, 11th, 12th century, 12th century uh, book written in Spain, uh, that it is uh, Jewish mysticism, which we just be kind of the Jewish approach to the occult. And that's where it is first mentioned. Uh, there is no star of David. And then this star somehow was convoluted by the Roman Catholic Church as a way to demean Jews so that they would have to wear it so that they could be uh, marked clearly and, and uh-huh. abused and, and contained. And then from the Roman Catholic Church, you had Adolf Hitler say, hey, that's a pretty swell idea. We'll make them wear those stars of David. We'll put Jude in the, the middle of it, and we'll know who to ship off to concentration camps and, and murder in mass, deprive of their rights. And so from that, of, you know, the church and the Nazis taking this symbol that came out of Jewish occultism and saying, yeah, there's your sign. They now make it the symbol of the ethnicity, of the nation, and of the religion. Frightening. Good God, that's frightening. And then to uh, assign this veneration of a star to, to God's son, the Messiah. Mm-hmm. God is, is not pleased. That, that may be the symbol that, well, it's, I don't know, it's a Tice race. Talk about symbols that bother God. That one, well, and, and you wipe that one out, having please. the most popular religion in human history parade around with the image of a dead God on a stick. <laughs> yeah, you gotta know that is <laughs> okay. That's a toss up. That one rings the bell and saying, <laughs> you know, Satan was right when he came up here and said, "Hey, God, they're so stupid." Trust me. <laughs> I'm going to get them to worship me as if I were God. And they're going to be so dumb, they're going to think they're worshiping you when I am their object of interest because they're going to parade around under the symbol of a dead God on a stick. It's perfect. Well, it's perfect if you're Satan. As for the names that God's going to eliminate from man's lexicon, they're going to begin with Jesus Christ, the Lord, Hashem. Allah. When God is done, there will be no memory of Christianity, Judaism, or Islam. There will be no memory of Hinduism, Confucianism, or Buddhism. There will be no memory of wokeism, of counterculture, of progressives, of liberals, of, uh, uh, of conspirators. There are essentially two types of people who assert that they speak for God. Moving on to the next phrase in in God's statement, the religious and the political. Both are going to be invalidated and banished. 
And isn't it ironic, considering that those who have claimed to have been chosen by God are those God is choosing to obliterate? Great irony. Wow. The reason that clerics such as these end up locked away and sheol is that God deems them to have associated themselves with the Ruach HaTumah, religiously defiling spirit. As such, popes and priests, rabbis and imams, preachers and pastors will be eternally incarcerated in Sheol. Leading people away from God is not a victimless crime. Now, mind you, the overwhelming preponderance of people will have no punishment at all. They aren't going to hell. The overwhelming preponderance of people have been misled. There is no penalty for having been misled. At the end of a person's life who has been misled, whether they be a passive uh, practitioner of Judaism, of Islam, of Christianity, they're not promoting it. They're just victimized by it. Mm -hmm. They're, uh, they're an agnostic, they're an atheist, they're, they're not anti-God, they just were misled about God. The end of their life is the end of their life. They were given the opportunity to make better choices, they were given free will, they were given a brain to process it, they were given a conscience to make sense of it, and at the end of their life, if they did not the great tragedy of religion, their soul ceases to be to exist. And there are those who have, have complained when I say that and say, well, that's not fair. Why isn't it fair? Why not? Well, part of that is not fair. If you mislead people away from God, you spend eternity in shoal because, well, that's a really bad thing to do. And if you're victimized by them and you never know any better, you, you've got your life, and at the end of your life, it was a gift, and it's over. Nothing more. And if you choose to pay attention to what God is saying, you listen to him, you observe his testimony, and accept what he is offering uh, and what he is requesting in return, you get to live with him forever. What part of that isn't fair? Well, what about the, the, the poor guy in Africa that uh, has never heard this presentation? My response is, why are you worried about the poor guy in Africa? You're hearing it, and you're not responding. You're hearing it right now. You have this opportunity, and you're unwilling to capitalize upon it because you want to make an excuse for some poor guy in Africa. If that poor guy in Africa doesn't have the capacity to process what we're saying, which is typically not true, but should they have no access to the Internet – then nothing was taken from them. They have their life. They would live it as they saw fit. And at the end of their life, it's simply over. No penalty there. But how could there be a reward there for never doing the right thing? And keep in mind, not only are there nearly 8 billion smartphones with access to the Internet, in addition to that, in every community, everywhere, there's somebody that can take you to a library. Uh, so 
The truth is available. And listen, God's intent never was to make his testimony easily understood by everyone in the world so that heaven was as crowded a place as earth. That's never his intent. His intent was to save, to salvage, to reconcile the descendants of Abraham and Sarah, of Yishak and of Jacob. He made a commitment to honor the promises he had made through Moshe and Dode, through Yermiah and Yashiah, through Zachariah here. That's what he promised to do. And there isn't any of them who has that excuse. None of them. None of them. And that's the intent. And for the vast preponderance of the rest of us, we also have access. We have no excuse. And if you're going to use the poor guy in Africa that is uh, illiterate, that is without connectivity, that person wasn't shortchanged. Stop worrying about them and start worrying about your own soul. Now, the reason that when I was an agnostic, you know, that was an argument I would make because to me that's just an unjust God that would torture that person for eternity. Mm-hmm. That person simply dying, I have no issues with. Yeah, that, that seems just and fair. Yep. The idea that they would be tortured for eternity in hell, I had issues with. Yeah, correct. To me, that is a God I cannot love. No. Now, I'm going to tell you, there were some people. let them live their life and die? Fine with that. There were many, many people in primitive communities long before the access to the truth was made available to them that are going to hell, that are going to Sheol. You know, I, there are certain things that I've never been able to get out of my mind. I, I was one of the, gone to one of the prettiest places on earth, then the Big Island of Hawaii. And the Big Island of Hawaii, there is a, um, a very spooky place that's on the far western side, southwestern quarter of the Big Island of Hawaii. And there are these rock formations that uh, are altars that have uh, uh, places cut out for people to have been put on top and their hearts cut out while they were living. And the, the Polynesians that came up from the South Pacific into the Hawaiian Islands, uh, they, uh, the kings and the priests formed an alliance to control the people for their own benefit. And if anyone did anything that was that challenged their authority to essentially enslave everyone else and to live a luxurious life while everyone else struggled, uh, they, they and everyone they knew and loved uh, was publicly murdered in a savage way. So while the victims sadly had their lives shortened, and there is nothing more for them. The perpetrators, they're going to Sheol. God's fear. He has to not only send them to Sheol, but they have to be aware of why they were sent there. Our world has been filled with a lot of disgusting people for a very long time. 
Mm-hmm. No. Not up until the Come on. Yeah. Up until the point of Yahweh's return on Yom Kippurim. It behooves God people for us to expose and to condemn all aspects of religion, including besmirching the names and titles attributed to their venerated objects of worship. But once Yahweh cleans house, they will no longer exist to trouble anyone. It's, it is our retirement. And while we are devoted to doing everything we can to expose and condemn Judaism and Christianity and Islam and, and progressiveness and wokeism and, and all, of these, all of the conspiracies so that people walk away from them and begin to seriously consider Yahweh's testimony. Um, I can tell you that uh, I think I speak for all of us. Um, we're, we're not going to complain when the time comes where Yahweh says, hey, hey, nice job, but you know, here's your gold watch. Go have a good time. You know, you're, there, you're, you're, what you've done doesn't need to be done anymore. Uh, that's not bad news. We're, we would love it. Now, that's, that's it is yeah, yeah it, is, it is interesting that I had thought as that us Goyim, who Yahweh reached out to because there were none of his people willing to work with him, that as soon as he returned, hey, man, we go on vacation because it's uh, Yehudim are put back in charge. Yehudim time. Yeah. Yes, Yehudim time. Uh, not so much. Yehudim are put in charge of Yisrael, and they go back into their things. But Yahweh specifically says that who's going to teach those who have just recently been removed from the breast, those who are still, are just weaned from their, their mother's milk? Somebody has to teach them how to observe Kippurim and uh, and. Sukkah, even the Shabbat, how to pronounce Yahweh's name, what it means, who he is, who doted. There's There's a while where teachers are still going to be needed. And so we will be teaching for a, a little while. And in that middle period between Kippurim and Sukkah, where we camp out with God for a thousand years, um, God's going to continue to work through people because that's his mandate. That's his decision. That's his will. And there's going to be enormous recompense, people held accountable. It's going to be certain of us that are chosen to administer justice. So we're, we're not going to be able to gallivant around the, uh, the stars uh, e- immediately. But, you know, this is... I understand postponing our retirement is okay because our retirement is exceedingly lavish and exceedingly long. So, you know, having a year or two or five days um, taken from our ability to go off and explore the the universe uh, when we get an infinite number of days and an infinite universe and then get to actually participate in the creating of a new one, uh, and we we get we go from being three dimensional to seven dimensional. Uh, you know, it's it's 
simply an informative observation that we're providing here. Uh, because I think uh, covenant members want to know what, what's, what's our responsibility? What should we be prepared uh, to do? It's, it's always good to be prepared uh, for what God wants accomplished and to be ready. Yeah, well, Molly so, can teach the kids. And she's yeah. good. Yeah, that's right. Molly will teach the. I'll do art class. That no, that's that's a a great idea. So we get to all move out of the way, and Molly's uh, Molly's on. Molly has the uh, the uh, yada yawa for yeah, the kids. Yeah. Yes, yes. Yeah. So it's uh, a marvelous uh, program that she has to, and and it's an essential part of what we do, by the way. And that's one of the reasons it's so important to have a family, is that. God wants us to teach our children. You can't teach children with the same vocabulary and the same intensity that we use in this program. There is uh, no, no matter how brilliant, there is no 10-year-old on the planet that's going to pick up a copy of Yada Yawa and say, well, let me make sure I have my Funk and Wagnall beside me and I can look up some of these words and is going to read along and say, this is really a fun read. It's not the way it's written. No. And so it is really vital to have what Molly is doing. So I'm glad you, uh, you brought that up. So now with every religious symbol and proponent eliminated, malcontents will be few and far between. New souls conceived during the Eden years, however, will still enjoy free will. So there will be those who chose to go rogue. This is a really uh, troubling uh, uh, passage. Mm. It's a really troubling passage, and and uh, I uh, I'm going to comment on it in the end. But I I want you to know that uh, I'm with you in saying this is a troubling passage, and it shall come to pass that if anyone claims to speak as a prophet again, then his father and his mother will say to the child they conceived and bore, "You shall not continue to live." For indeed, you speak lies in the name, place, and reputation of Yahweh. Then his father and his mother, who conceived and bore him, will pierce him, along with what he predicts. Now, well, I've led into this as saying that this is troubling in one way. It's reassuring in another. It tells us that we will not be robots. We will have, not, well, I don't think any of us who are covenant will ever go and say, I, I, I renounce this. You know, I've gotten to know Yahweh. Yeah, he's, he's fine, everything, but I'm bored. I, I want to go to the dark side. I don't think <laughs> that's ever going to happen. No. I don't no. think there's a single I don't think example. that's possible. Right. I don't think that's possible. I don't either. I've always thought, so I've always said, once covenant, always covenant. However, what they're talking about here is someone that is born during the Eden years on Millennium. Earth. Yeah. So yeah. this is not somebody who has been part of the covenant who is saying, ah, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't like this immortal, perfected, adopted, inherit the universe stuff. That's not Protection. for me. Yeah. You know, this Yahweh uh, that you talk about, trustworthy, reliable, that's boring. So this is somebody that was born during the Eden years. And this person 
will still have free will. That's enormously important. And as free will, they must have the choice of not yah. But what happened here on earth is for all of the people who had made the choice not yah, which is virtually everyone, they hung around. Some of them became like Akiba and Paul and Mamamides. And they led millions and billions astray. What a terrible thing to happen during the millennial celebration of the Shabbat during the Eden years than to have somebody lead a revolution away from Yahweh so that many of those who are born during these years not all, uh, abandon God and squander their opportunity. And so what God is saying here is that it is far better, A, that we have freedom, that people be allowed to choose not Yahweh if they wish to, but that if they do, they're not allowed to go mislead others. That such a person is going to die separated from God. And God is saying the most compassionate thing we can do at this point, most loving thing we can do at this point, is to keep them from corrupting others and taking more with them. May I ask and that, something? Go ahead. Oh, please. Please. No, I was, I, that passage bothered me because it, it's always translated pierced, you know, and, and to stab violently is ratza. So I was looking around, to him, so I looked at the letters again, and with the Q and the R, it's like in Kara, it's to be called out or separated. And, and the way it's drawn, they're being separated from the house. So that's deadly, because if you're not with, with Yahweh's family, you're not with Yahweh. So you're going to die, but it's, that always bothered me that a parent would have to go stab their child. But I, just a minute ago, you said separate, and that's what I kind of, kind of came up with, rather than uh, pierced. Is, yeah. Does it? I don't know whether I'm right or whether the yeah. other is right, but it just seems but, really, stabbing violently is a different word. But what they're basically saying here is that it's soul will not removed. continue to live. Yeah, uh, apart fine. from that's Yahweh, fine. there is no life. So it's uh-huh. the negation of life, which is when you speak lies about Yahweh, which is what this says, though those who speak yeah. lies in the reputation and name in Yahweh, that is the very definition of lifelessness. And so yeah. the instruction is that they will no longer continue to chaya. They're not going to have their lives preserved. And his father and mother who bore him, Yalad, Hugh, will pierce him, will revile him, along with what he predicts. It's just that there is an an immediate response as opposed to no intervention, because we're living right with Yahweh, so it snapped us, snuffed out immediately. Mm -hmm. Now, this answers a number of questions. First, Children will be conceived and born during the millennial Shabbat. And that would strongly infer that there will be sex. Now, that's a good thing for those of us who happen to like it. Now, <laughs> now we're all laughing here. Oh, you, you funny. Oh, you funny. Great read. But listen, sex is a fun thing. 
Why would God want to deprive us of something that he conceived that is this enjoyable? I mean, really, why would he want to do that? So this says, and, and also there is fun and, and growing together as a family and raising and nurturing and supporting children. And it says, so we're able to have them. We're able to contribute to their lives. And that means that at some point we are going to take on physical form when we choose to, and there's going to be sex. You know, the, there's this myth that, uh, that God is a cosmic killjoy and that, yeah. Oh boy, better not have sex. No boy, you know. If you're going to do it, better be in missionary position with the lights off under the covers. God never says anything about it. I mean, God's description of 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 sexuality is exceedingly limited, and he just says, "Don't do it with the beasties." I don't care how cute you think the lammy is, don't do it with the lammies. I don't want you doing it with other animals. That's disgusting. Whether you know it or not, it is. It's disgusting. Number two, by the way, that's how syphilis was likely created. It was priests doing, uh, doing lammies. Uh, really? The, yeah, yuck. Um, the, wow. The second thing he says, no, no incest. Don't, don't, don't do mommy. Don't do daddy. Don't do brother. Don't do sister. Don't do uncle. Don't do your family. That's disg- it's a betrayal of trust. Ah, that's pretty good advice. That's true. Uh, God says, you don't have a right to rape a slave. Rape is bad. Okay, we can live with that. And if a, because in war, men were so despicable that if they, the, the army that was victorious would, as a matter of savagery, they would rape the, the men who were laying on the field dying. Sodomize them. And God said, I'm sorry, but that's really, really disgusting. Don't, don't do that. That's, that's pretty much the list. He even says in terms of marriage, does he ever say you can only have one wife or one husband? No. Nope. Did he ever criticize? Every example of someone with multiple wives tends to end up with negative consequences, but... Yeah. Uh, listen, uh, he doesn't say you one, can't do it. He just shows you that it's not a right good idea. Right wife, one is great. I'm sure it's the same thing with, true with husbands. But multiple is, is not appealing to me. Mm. I, I, I do not see the value in that. But I, I will tell you that, that God never did criticize Dode for having ten concubines and, uh, and mm-hmm. what was it, eight wives. Uh, he, all he did is said that the way that you... You um, were able to get Bathsheba to be your wife was disgusting. You sent a good man off to war, hoping that he would get killed. That's really revolting. I'm I'm exceedingly disappointed in you for having done that. But even in marriage, God says, if you don't want to be married anymore, just write a letter. And it's all over. So this idea of there will be sex should not be surprising because God is not a cosmic killjoy. He invented it. I think it's pretty cool. The designs work really well. Very appealing. Um, And so we should uh, expect that heaven is going to be pleasurable in in every possible way, even though most of the time we will be a, a life form 
more akin to light and therefore without a physical body, but we will be able to take on physical form to celebrate the Moed Mikre, to, uh, to enjoy one another's company. So we know there's going to be... Have a uh, lamb dinner. Yes, yeah, that's right. We're, going, we're still going to enjoy <laughs> lamb and wine and, and all of those uh, kinds of uh, things. So second, we know now, we've talked about this, there's going to be free will. Uh, even when we're living in proximity to Yahweh and under Dode's uh, uh, reign, uh, and during that time, stupid uh, will exist, but stupid will be short-lived. Uh, even God can't fix stupid, after all. Third, that's the reason why I'm so glad that the slowness of brain has begun to gradually ebb. Uh, there's no remedy. <laughs> no remedy for what I want. Don't, yeah. don't Third, uh, our experiences in eternity are not scripted, not preordained. Our future is whatever we choose. And therefore, it would be an infringement on our free will for someone to predict the outcome, one outcome versus another. Prophecy exists to validate the word of God, since we can determine what Yahweh inspired and differentiated from what he did not say, we will not be needing proof of authenticity in eternity. We will receive Yahweh's guidance from an unassailable source with much of it integrated into the very fabric of our lives. So when somebody mm-hmm. speaks contrary to God, you just know it. We're going to know. Yeah. Fifth, families will be part of tomorrow. That's pretty cool. We will enjoy the joys of raising children. I love that part of life. I think it is so tremendously rewarding. Uh, you know, JB, I hear you talk to your daughter during the uh, the show. Yeah. Is there any part of life that can compare to the rewards and joy of that? No, no. That's no. one of the greatest things that's ever happened to me. Yeah. And so families are going to be part of tomorrow. Sixth, while the covenant is forever, each new soul will have the opportunity that we have been afforded, which is to accept or reject God. And there will continue to be less desirable outcomes for those who choose poorly. And seventh, we will be judgmental and discerning in the hereafter. We'll continue to think and make sound decisions. These parents are shown deciding of the fate of their own child. So to maintain Eden-like conditions, false teachers will be eliminated swiftly so that they do not inspire rebellion, causing another fall. If Adam had told Hasatan when he slithered into the garden, no, that's not what God said, you're misrepresenting it, you're twisting his words, and no, that's not right. And if he had told Chawa what she needed to know for her to make a good decision, it never would have occurred. So in these return to Eden, with the exception of a very brief moment at the very end, there will be no intrusion of Hasatan, this spirit, to specifically create this final choice. 
because deceit leads to separation and death. For the sake of the many, the most merciful thing to do is eradicate evil's hosts before others are infected. Had this been done with Paul, with Akiba, and with Muhammad, billions of souls would not have been damned by their lies. If I could, knowing what I know now, have eliminated Paul when he slithered into Damascus, I would have done so. If I could have silenced Akiba, if uh, I could have taken the pen away from Amamides, any of these individuals, you'd do it in a heartbeat. Knowing what we know now, can you imagine being in Austria as a young boy was failing uh, to gain admission into art school? Mm-hmm. And then uh, as a young man was trying to rally crowds in the beer halls, what if you had ended his life? 50 million people wouldn't have lost theirs. What if you were to have taken the life of of Lenin and Stalin, of Mao. Mao, yeah. Over a hundred million people would not have suffered needlessly. And so God's really astute about this. So that passage that we read that is so troubling for Benny is really reassuring. We're no longer going to have to endure a Stalin, a Lenin, a Mao, or a Kiba, a Paul. Never again. But we are to the end of our uh, of our time, and until we get to a little bit earlier start, uh, um, my my dog Asher is uh, is so crashed out at my feet, I may not even get her to come to bed. Uh, and uh, I have uh, I've been going since uh, five thirty this morning, which is. Um, 4.30 for those of you on the East Coast, and JB, uh, 3.30 for you, and and 1.30 in the morning for you, uh, Kirk. Mm-hmm. So I'm, I'm going to turn it into a pumpkin uh, shortly. But I thank you all for participating. Uh, JB, it's great to have you uh, back. I hope all is uh, is going well. Uh, great to hear your daughter's yeah. voice in the, the background. Uh, welcome back, uh, Happy Shabbat to one and all. We look forward to resuming with you this time next week. And thank you, the entire family, for what has been an amazing week in terms of updating the uh, the website, the uh, publishing of the new volume of Volume 2 of ITG, the creation of the three social media sites, uh, Yada Yawa, Twitter, Yada Yawa, Facebook, Yada Yawa, Instagram, uh, the marvelous work that Steve is doing with Yada Yah and uh, on YouTube. Um, it, there is just so much being done with uh, the edit team and the fact check team with uh, with the, all working under Jackie for these books being published at, uh, at Amazon. We are deeply grateful for the contribution. Of, yeah. uh, of everyone in this regard, and um, I think Yah was pleased. So, 
Happy Shabbat to one and all. We look forward to being with you this time uh, next week. May Yah bless. Good night. Shabbat shalom. Shalom.